There was a man who was getting up in years and he decided that he wanted to take some of his money with him. So he decided when his time came, he would have some friends help him. So he called three of his most trusted friends together, his pastor, his doctor, and his lawyer, and gave each of them an envelope containing $1 million. He said, now listen, when my day comes and I pass, I, I want to take some with me. So I'm asking you, my dear friends, at my viewing, when you pass by my casket, to each of you slip your envelope under the blanket in the casket. And they agreed they would. Well, a few years later, the man did pass away and his sleep it was a quiet going. And at the viewing, the three friends came. And as each went by the casket, they each slipped an envelope under the blanket in the casket. And after the, the service, they met for coffee. And they were sitting there in silence. And the pastor broke first. He said, I just have to confess. That million dollars just meant so much. He said, I, I, I put most of it in, but I took 125,000 of it. And I know he had, a, he had a burden for our children's center we're building. And I, so I gave it to that project in his name. Then the doctor broke. He said, well, okay, well, since we're sharing, his wife who had passed before him died of a rare disease. So I donated 500,000 to research in his name. And the lawyer looked at them and said, I can't believe you. You promised as his dear friends that you would put it all in there. And he said, did you? He said, of course I did. I wrote a check. <laughs> now, if that check's ever cashed, <laughs> just a little levity as we approach a very serious and a very challenging passage with the second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Two Sundays ago, we began a new sermon series entitled, You Are Blessed When? And in chapters 5 to 7 of Matthew, we find Jesus' longest and most profound section of teachings, which are referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. So as Jesus found his way to a high area on a green hill, gently sloped and overlooking the deep blue waters of the Sea of Galilee, he seated himself on a raised rock before the disciples as well as the multitudes that had been following him. And Jesus began to teach. He began his teaching with these first very serious and very challenging first 11 verses of three chapters to follow. Last week, Pastor Jonathan worked with the first beatitude, which is Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And through his dissection and interpretation, we discovered an intriguing surprise that the Beatitudes contain the gospel from the very beginning. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who come before God, he explained, poor in spirit. Poor usually means someone in a place of being destitute. A poor person, we think, has nothing in and of themselves. They're in a place of complete emptiness and helplessness. So what does a truly poor person do? They, they seek help. 
The poor in spirit, then, is someone who finds himself of being in a place of being destitute spiritually. A poor in spirit person has come to the place where they realize they are completely empty and helpless spiritually. They stand spiritually impoverished before an almighty holy God. They have nothing to bring before God to buy or earn his love and forgiveness. They're empty, hurting, helpless, broken, needing his help. They need God. And what does a truly poor in spirit person do? They also ask for help. And God's response to the poor in spirit who cry out to him out of their emptiness, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. God's response is that for God so loved the world that all of us of this world of all time who are spiritually bankrupt that he gave his only son for us. And when any and all in the world cry out and receive Jesus as their Savior, everyone who believes in him will not perish, but it tells us will have eternal life, will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? When we cry out in our poor of spirit place and we receive God's sacrificial gift of his Son as our Savior and Lord, ours is the kingdom of heaven. And when we have made this decision and we have found that we are now part of the kingdom of heaven through his son, we are blessed. We are happy. We are settled. We are content. We are at peace. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Did you ever wonder, though, why Jesus begins his deeply challenging three-chapter sermon on the Sermon on the Mount with the gospel? How many remember the group called the Promise Keepers? You remember them? They had a real heyday and then they kind of subsided and now they're actually trying to come back. But it was a conference for men to, for men to be men of God who will keep their promises to their, to their world, to their work, to their spouses, to their children, to their world, their society, to be, to be men of God. How many went to a Promise Keepers conference? How many did that? Yes. If you remember those Promise Keepers conference, everyone I went to, they did something very unusual the first night. It was a Promise Keepers conference to try to get Christian men to come to challenge them to keep their promises. But every conference at the first night, the first night service was an evangelistic gospel message. Not starting to deal with men as Christians, but to share the the gospel. Why? Because the leaders knew that there is little lasting internal change or effect on anyone, including men, until they have had a personal encounter with Jesus as their Savior and Lord first. How can a heart and a life be changed outwardly unless it has been first changed inwardly? How can you challenge a person to be a better Christian if they're not yet a born-again Christian? How can you expect anyone to inwardly and outwardly strive to follow three chapters of deep Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount unless they have first been changed inwardly in the first beatitude? How can any church expect to do anything truly significant for Jesus until the church is filled with born-anew, Holy Spirit-led, Jesus-following leaders and people. 
That's the reason Jesus began with blessed are the poor in spirit. For only those who have come to Jesus poor in spirit, hearts broken and humbled, spiritually bankrupt, seeking God's help alone through his son Jesus as their savior, can they ever begin to progress any further in Jesus's challenges in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So we now move forward into the second beatitude. And in it we find that Jesus is building a ladder of understanding that we all need to grasp if we wish to fathom the depth of the challenges and the changes that the Sermon on the Mount offers. And again, the second beatitude begins with another step of inner work before we can progress to the next rung of the ladder. It's in Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Again, Jesus begins with the word blessed, meaning blessed, inwardly happy, inwardly settled, inwardly content, inwardly at peace are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Sounds a bit strange, doesn't it, to say blessed are those who mourn? If anything, mourning does not sound like something that will lead to blessing and happiness. Because first of all, we think of mourning as losses in our lives. When we first hear the word mourning, we think of loss or something uh, maybe usually of a loved one, which is the greatest level of mourning. And when we mourn, we think of words such as to have our heart broken, to have our heart sink, to ache, to anguish, to languish, to agonize, to moan, to sob, to wail. And when we experience the loss of someone that has been an important part of our lives, we move through many of the experiences in our grieving. And that grieving, our grieving is God-given. It's a human emotion, and you see it expressed throughout the Bible. Ecclesiastes 3, it says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to weep, and a time to laugh. If you read about Abraham, he wept when his wife died. In Psalm 42, it cries out, My tears have been my food day and night. In Jeremiah 9.1 it says, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes were a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. If you read in Timothy, he was grieved over his discouragement. In Luke 7, we find the woman who washed Jesus' feet with the tears that came from her own eyes, and then she wiped them with her hair. We think of the scene in, in John 11 when Jesus' dear friend Lazarus had died and Jesus arrived in town and went to Mary and Martha and it tells us when Jesus saw her, Mary, weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in, in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. Some versions, Jesus wept. Many of us remember that verse 35 very well. We used to play with it and say, I memorized the Bible passage. Happened to be the shortest passage in the Bible. Jesus wept. However, this little passage carries a wallop of meaning. For it tells us that Jesus sees us in our grieving. He hears us. He loves us. He weeps with us in our pains and our hurts and in our grieving. It says in Psalm 34, 18, to add to that, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. 
and how much we as Christians lean upon the word of God to give us comfort in our mourning at times like this, in this kind of mourning. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others who do not have, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even though, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those that have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we all who are alive, who are left unto the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with the cry of command, with the archangel's call and the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive or left will be caught up with the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, Paul tells us that immediately on our death, what happens? Yes, we do have confidence. We'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. As soon as we've left the body, we're at home with the Lord. Yes, for those who know Jesus, we do not, as it said, grieve like those who have no hope. Because if we and our loved ones have Jesus, then when our last breath is breathed, immediately we're with Jesus forever. And in that way, it is true. Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. It means that if you go through a time of loss and mourning because of that loss, you will be blessed by God's comfort. And that is correct. And that is wonderful. However, even though the definition of mourning in the second beatitude is the same, to have your heart break and sink and ache and anguish and languish and agonize and moan and sob and wail, the subject, the topic of what we are mourning about in this beatitude is very different. The heartbreak, the ache, the anguish, the languish, the agonizing, the moaning, the sobbing, the wailing is not referring to the loss of a loved one. But we experience in that because it's directed toward our sin. My sin. Your sin. Mourning over sin. You see the progression of Jesus in the Beatitudes? It begins with that poor in spirit, those who find themselves spiritually bankrupt and they come and they become a part of the kingdom of heaven through God's gift of Jesus. And the next connected experience is to be blessed and to realize that our sins have been forgiven and we come to Jesus. And, we, and then we come in there, we say, okay, that was beautiful, that happened, I've come to Jesus. But then he's saying, blessed are those who mourn. The transition goes in. It's not just an easy thing. Oh, I accepted Jesus, I'm going to heaven. There needs to be an experience there. Blessed are those who mourn over the sin that caused that God's sinless son Jesus had to suffer as he did face the false accusations the mockings the beatings and the horrible crucifixion because of your sins and my sins my sin caused that your sin caused that our sin caused God to have to send his only son to bear and pay the penalty for our sins and when I fathom that, I am overwhelmed, I am undone, I have overcome, I am submerged into mourning. There's a song by a group called FFH called On My Cross. It says it in these words, 
How wide is your love that you would stretch your arms and go around the world? And why for me would a Savior's cry be heard? I don't know why you went where I was meant to go. I don't know why you love me so. Those were my nails. That was my crown that pierced your hands and your brow. Those were my thorns. Those were my scorns. Those were my tears that fell down. And just as you said it would be, you did it all for me. After you counted the cost, you took my shame, my blame on my cross. Do you hear the mourning in those words? Do you feel that mourning in your heart? A writer named Lois Cheney, who was a, a professor, wrote a book a while back called God is No Fool, and she rhetorically threw this out in, in one of her poems. She said, would we crucify Jesus today? It's not a rhetorical question for the mind to play with. I believe we're each born with a body, a mind, a soul, and a handful of nails. I believe when everyone dies, no one has ever found any nails left clutched in their pockets or clutched in their hands. Our sins nailed him to the cross. We are the ones who crucified Jesus. And in the second beatitude, Jesus said, we should each have that time of mourning. We should each be part of those who mourn over our sins. In Romans 3.23, it says, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. I have sinned. You have sinned. We have done things wrong and we have done wrong things. We have chosen to go in an opposite direction, far from God. We are guilty of sin and we have nothing to offer to help ourselves, so we mourn. Hear David's mourning in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. Here Isaiah's morning in 6.5, I said, woe is me. I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Here Paul's mourning over his sin as he cries out in Romans 7, 24. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? I remember I did a wedding with another pastor at their church. We, the couple uh, were from two churches and they decided to have Amazing Grace sung at the church. And the woman went to sing the Amazing Grace and she sang this. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that came and set me free. That sounds strange to you? I asked the pastor after, I said, what happened to the saved a wretch like me? He said, oh, we don't want anybody here feeling like they're a wretch. But that's the point. That's the point. That's why the, the hymn writer wrote it. That's what it says there. Look at Paul, wretched man that I am. I need to be in mourning over that. Remember Paul's, Peter's mourning over the sin after he denied, denied Jesus? Then about an hour later, 
Still another kept insisting, surely this man was also with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. At that moment, while he was still speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Just think of what that look was like. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to him before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. 62 says, and he went out and wept bitterly. We are to be mournful, to actually mourn over our sins. Well, if, if we're supposed to be in mourning, how, why are those who mourn going to be happy? If we're always mourning over our sins, how does happiness, blessedness, contentment, peace come out of that? Because mourning is an action that brings with it the action of reflection. Mourning is an action that brings reflection and realization and acceptance and confession and then repentance. When we mourn, we are lamenting, we are aching, we are anguishing, we are languishing, we are agonizing, we are moaning and sobbing and wailing over our sin. And as we are poor in spirit, we are kneeling before God and we are crying out for help. And nothing but God can help us with our sin and our guilt and our mourning. Nothing else in this world can help us. They can help us temporarily, but not eternally. Not doctors or pills or, or drink or drugs, not pleasures or money or stuff, not relationships or experiences and diversions. Nothing but God can help us with our sin and guilt and our mourning about our sin. Nothing in this world can help us. The great Puritan preacher Thomas Watson said, Things of this world will no more keep out trouble of spirit than a piece of paper will stop a bullet. As the old hymn questions, you can respond for me. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And in that aching, anguishing, languishing, agonizing, moaning and sobbing, wailing and crying out for help, we are confessing, we are repenting, we are seeking deliverance, we are seeking God's forgiveness. And when we truly get it, about our sins and our sinful state, when we truly get it, that it was our sins, my sins, your sins, that Jesus suffered and died for on that cross. When we respond by bemoaning our sin, confessing our failings, and weeping with deep inner churning sorrow, when we respond by truly grieving and mourning, moaning and crying out to God over our sins, when we're actually repenting, that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, 9, Now rejoice not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you felt a godly grief so that you were not harmed in any way by us. And when we repent, the blessing comes from that because we become then blessed by forgiveness. When we mourn over our sins, when that mourning leads to confession and repentance of our sins, when that mourning leads to asking Jesus to forgive us of our sins, when our mourning will, when, then our mourning will begin to be turned into being comforted. I'm going to read some scriptures. You'll see them up there. And after each one, I want you to yell, comfort. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins... He who is faithful in us will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
comfort. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Comfort. Hope you're getting comforted by these. James 4, 8 to 10, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into de dejection. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Comfort. Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so as your youth is renewed like the eagles. Comfort. Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions, our sins from us comfort. Jeremiah 31, 34, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Comfort. Micah 7, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Comfort. Now in 2 Corinthians, now, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Comfort. In reality, the moaning, the groaning of despair is the first cry of victory. The sad become the blessed. People who are then, because we have come in mourning, because we have found forgiveness for our, for our repentance, we have been forgiven, we are now blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, because we know that we are now forgiven and clean before the Lord. Amen? The mourners receive comfort. And it's a progressive connection from the first beatitude into the second. So these are the people Jesus is talking about. These are they who mourn over the condition, they mourn over their sin and the sin situation. And they want to be blessed, happy, settled, content, and all that because they've received that forgiveness. That's the comfort Jesus is talking about. That's the comfort Jesus is offering. It's the comfort that comes in the forgiveness. When we sinners come to the place of recognizing we're spiritually bankrupt, when we sinners come to the place of grief, deep grief, deep sorrow over sin, when we sinners come before God in repentance and ask to be forgiven, when we sinners come mourning, we're comforted because we are forgiven. Look at Psalm 30. O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you brought me my soul from Sheol, restored me to life from among those gone down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his faithful ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but, is, is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger in the night, but joy comes in the morning. Did you hear that? Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You've turned my mourning into dancing. You've taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And there's only one thing keeping each of us from being blessed and comforted in our sins. 
And that's if we continue to harbor a hard heart. If you want to have a soften your heart, the one way to break through a hard heart is to take some time, sit under the cross where Jesus hangs and is dying for you. Jesus who knew no sin. Jesus who suffered and died for each one of us. Sit under that cross for a while and see if you can still keep a hardened heart. A woman named Christina Rossetti wrote a poem in 1866 reflecting on Jesus on the cross. These are some of her words. Am I a stone that I can stand, O Christ, beneath your cross to number drop by drop as your blood flows from you and yet I don't weep? Peter wept. The thief was moved. The sun and the moon hid their faces. Sun and moon hid their faces in a starless sky. It was a horror of darkness at broad noon. Am I a stone that I can stand, O Christ, beneath your cross and not be moved to grieving? If so, dear Lord, smite this rock. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We're going to take a moment now and have an opportunity. As you see, there is an old thing in the church called an altar call. Obviously, we don't have any altars we do sacrifices on, but it is a place where we come forward and we ask God. And we repent and we languish in our sins and ask for forgiveness. If you have never invited Jesus into your heart and over the last few weeks and today, you're realizing that you really want to confess your sins to Jesus. You want to be cleansed. You want to, to grieve over your sins. You want to have his son as your savior. You want to have Jesus in your heart and your life now and forever. If you want that, I want to invite you to come up and come forward. Or maybe you said today, you know, I am a Christian, but I really need to do a little more grieving over the sins that caused him to die for me. And I think it's appropriate that I do that. For either purpose, I want to invite you to come forward. Pastor Paul and I are up here. The elders will join us. If you'd like to come forward and just pray, let's pray together and truly appreciate what it means to understand. Blessed are those who mourn over the sins of our lives that put him on that cross. And then to realize through our, his forgiveness, through our repentance, we can be blessed, happy, content and peace because we have been forgiven. It's open before you.